Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Susie Harrison. Susie is a second-year PhD researcher at Nottingham Trent University in the United Kingdom and is funded through the AHRC Midlands Three Cities Doctoral Training Program. Her research analyzes current attitudes towards intangible cultural heritage in England and looks to reveal the challenges which it faces through closer examination of intangible heritage in the East Midlands. Her research is also looking at opportunities to possibly adopt practices at a local or national level which may exist in other countries, which is the reason why she has come across the pond to chat with us here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Susie, welcome to St. John's. Thank you, Dale. It's a delight to have you here. It's nice to have someone that I can I can use the word the phrase intangible cultural heritage with and not have to worry too much about explaining but it. But I know what it means exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is one of these phrases, you know, I, I use it all the time. Um, and sometimes when I, I say it to people, they look at you, they have, they have no idea. I regularly get blank expressions from all sorts of folks, yeah. So so what do you say when you when you say you're doing this work in intangible cultural heritage and people look at you blankly? How do you explain it? The first thing I say is that it's it's living heritage. Right. It's it's heritage that is done by people and it, it happens now. So it's in communities and it's happening and it's passed on from generation to generation. So it's things like customs and traditions and rituals, festive events, um so things like carnivals. Um but it's also um, things like the heritage crafts, but less to do with the actual tangible finished element, more to do with the, the knowledge that's passed down <coughs> um, of how to make certain things. Yeah. Um, and sort of performing arts and that sort of thing. So anything that's kind of, um, like I say, done by people um, at community level. Uh, yeah. That, that isn't sort of it's sort of the opposite of buildings. I would say to people. <laughs> yeah. So if you can see it and look at it and go, oh, that's a lovely bit of heritage. It's the opposite of that. <laughs> that's a, that's the, probably the, the nicest way yeah. to succinctly say it that yeah. I've heard in a little while. Yeah, I, we've just come from the Department of Folklore where you were giving a talk about uh, the differences between uh, how ICH is handled in Scotland and and uh, and England. And you had some lovely photographs of various. Uh, kind of ritual and, and custom that you've been photographing. So, could you maybe give us a couple of local examples of, yeah, of things? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I I first became interested in looking at tangible heritage before I knew what the phrase meant, I mean, many years ago, and before I went back to university. Um, I just, I've always quite liked the quirky and the eccentric, and there's plenty of it in England and Scotland. Mm-hmm. And certainly from where I live in the East Midlands, not rounds of Nottingham, Nottinghamshire, and Leicester and Derby, all sorts of interesting and wonderful things happen there. So, for example, uh, Shrove Tide, um, Shrove Tuesday and Ash Wednesday, you have the um, Ashbourne um, football game, which is not football as you would know it here, as in Canadian or American football. It's not soccer, it's not rugby. It's, uh, it's an old game that goes back hundreds of years, whereby the community of Ashbourne um, separates into two groups called the Uppards and the Downards, whether you're born or, or raised north or south of the river. And uh, those two groups then basically fight over a football, uh, a soccer ball, sorry, for pretty much the whole day because the goals are over mile apart in each direction and there's very few rules. So it does end up looking like a rugby scrum. They can run through the streets, they can go through 
the local river, the brook. Um, they often get stuck against walls because just, they just get squished. Um, <laughs> and at some point, the ball will get thrown up into the air and they all run off in the opposite direction. And hopefully you don't get squished alongside all these large, burly rugby player-type men who are in, intent on winning that that, uh, that goal, which can be, you know, it starts at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and it can go on until 7 or 8 in the evening. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and you said this is a this is a tradition that has been ongoing for for a long, long many time. generations. Yeah. Um, but then you were mentioning as well in the talk that it, there are now some issues that have kind of evolved because it has become popular outside of the outside yeah. of the community. Yeah, there's a number of there's a number of traditions where, as I was saying, it's it's almost the internet and sort of is is very good in in one respect of being able to promote events and people being able to find out about things in a wider community but on the other hand that brings it brings with it problems because people come in from outside an area and a lot of these um, traditions happen in small communities where they haven't necessarily got the infrastructure for many people coming in the parking spaces uh, i know ashbourne um don't think it has a train station but anyway it's sort of it and they say don't bring your car because if you park it in the wrong place you'll get your windscreen smashed in right yeah. so they don't want to but it will happen because there's too many people yeah. so um they have problems, therefore, with insurance because people get hurt, um, and uh, obviously, with uh, this this year, the a local bus had its windscreen smashed in, so they'll have to pay for that, uh, and they also need extra policing to move traffic around. So it's it's expensive. Right. So um, yeah, last year they they nearly had to cancel it about a week before. They still haven't got insurance sorted. Right. Yeah, uh, and this wasn't a, this wasn't an issue, uh, I guess. No, because know, no one knew ago. about it, or it was <laughs> you know only sort of folklorists would know about it and would come and and sort of wonder over the you know the interest of these weird local people doing these weird local events, and then they'd go away and write about it. But yeah. otherwise, it was just the local people doing what they've always done. You had another interesting photograph that you kind of flashed up at one point of um, of a traditional dance with uh, what looked like antlers. Antlers. Now, what that's, was that? That's the um, Abbots Bromley horn dance. Okay. In Shropshire. Yeah. No, it's not in Shropshire. It's in Staffordshire. Sorry, Staffordshire. It's, <laughs> um, it's fairly. It's close to Burton on Trent. Anyway, it's again. It's another one of these really old traditions. I think that goes back to eight hundred years, um, and. Once a year, and that's one of these things about intangible heritage, it's quite often once a year, it's a one-off event that happens annually. Quite often it's to do with the um, the sort of the, the, either the sort of the festive year or sort of to do with the calendar customs and things that went, went about. A lot of them were sort of rural practices. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the, um, the horn dance is another one of those interesting ones that... Uh, I don't really know too much about it other than that, that locals do it every year. Yeah, and it's, and it's uh, one of these things that's kind of passed down. It's passed down through generation to generation. generation, generation. generation. Yeah. People will, um, yeah. yeah. So those are pretty good examples of the kind yeah. of the range of things. That yeah, I mean, another local, I, on the Tuesday, the Monday before I came out, well, it was Easter Monday, um, I went to a place called Hallerton in Leicestershire where they have the Hallerton hair pie scramble and bottle kicking. Okay, tradition. now you're going to have to explain this. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a mixture of two things, really, <laughs> amalgamated into one. So the first part of the tradition is the hair pie scramble. Now, not hair as in on your head, but hair like rabbit. Rabbit hair, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they, I don't think they do these days. I think they use beef, to be honest. I think they cheat. But in the old days, they would catch a hair, bake a pie, uh, and then it's blessed by the, the local reverend, 
at the church after a procession has come down the hill from one of the pubs. Uh, and um, then the reverend throws bits of the pie into the um, audience, into the crowd, who then either catch it and eat it or, or just let it fall to the ground. The dogs love it. They're, they're really happy <laughs> to get bits of these scraps. So that's the first part of the tradition. Then... Uh, the second part is the bottle kicking. Now, they're not really bottles, the small barrels. Um, and there's three of them. And that, again, it's another football game. They love their football games. So what they do there, instead of being a football, it's a small barrel filled with beer. Um, a lot of these traditions, as involve I've mentioned drinking. before, involve drinking. It's like our mummering tradition. They involve here drinking. In the they involve drinking, drinking heavily. Yeah. And to be honest, these football games, I think you need to drink heavily <laughs> to be involved in <laughs> the, them. These traditions make more sense, I guess. Yeah. I mean, this year they, it wasn't so bad, but the last two years they've had the air ambulance out. Um, and they have the St. John's ambulance there every year. Four or five ambulances waiting to take people away. And they do, they do. It's yeah. people always get injured. Because it's it's crazy. They you know. And the, again, it this is the village of Hallerton versus the village of Medbourne, which is nearby. And um again it's played through fields over a long period of time. This is a, a best of three competition, so it takes all day. Um and then everyone drinks heavily and gets very very muddy and uh, gets carted <laughs> off in ambulances but it's a great tradition and again that goes back a long way that's i think they say it's one of the oldest traditions still being continued in in england yeah so now how did you how did you uh get involved with your phd research and in, in kind of studying approaches to how people safeguard this well originally i'd, I'd done an ma um at the university i'm at now and um I was looking to do a thesis and because I was already interested in sort of customs and traditions, um, I wanted to see how I could link that into an MA thesis. Um, and at the time I hadn't really realised that you could class it as heritage mm. until I looked further into it and then came across the magical term intangible cultural heritage. So initially I did my MA thesis uh, on it, uh, looking at the safeguarding of ICH in England. Um and it really went from there afterwards. I stayed at the University of Nottingham Trent University um, and continued the research that I'd done at MA level into PhD, um, received some funding, and, um, and, and that's, that's how that's that kind how of got, that's yeah. that got kick-started, yeah. yeah. So you're, you're looking at how uh, kind of policy is, in, is enacted in two different places, in Scotland and in England. So maybe we'll start with Scotland. Um, how, how do people approach... The kind of the the preservation or the safeguarding of ICH in Scotland. To start with, it's, it is different from the UK national policy, I believe. Really, um, it's seen as a more. It's, it's a lot of it's down to how they define heritage. Mm-hmm. So, their definition, um, so from historic Scotland, which uh, from uh, yes, historic Scotland, which is the body, or at least has been the body involved in looking after heritage in Scotland defines heritage um, in a far more uh, a broad way. So it, it, it uses the term intangible heritage in its definition of heritage and what it needs to protect um, compared to like a, a UK version of heritage. I know English heritage define... Their definition of heritage is, is everything that we value beyond mere utility, which is quite a broad statement really mm. the, the reality is they remit us to look after the built environment right. so within Scotland there is this kind of uh, a, a broader approach to what heritage is and I think also um, 
there's also that element of um, within the devolved administrations, that is, sort of like the countries of Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. I think there's sort of these the Celtic countries that, that they they are. I think they have, or certainly there's a, a feel of them being separate and having a strong identity that is different from England and different from the United Kingdom. So I think having that sort of idea of identity and sort of community, it means it's it's easier to bring in this idea of intangible heritage into sort of a definition of heritage. I think that has, has happened here in Canada to a certain extent as well. The, the provinces here that are really active in in work to safeguard intangible cultural heritage are those are those provinces which kind of pin their identity to their culture. So the province of Quebec um, and the French culture there, and then the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, which is very very um, fiercely proud of its distinctiveness from the rest of Canada. It's perhaps unsurprising that in Canada uh, we we have a kind of slightly different approach to heritage than other other provinces might, and which is I think. Which is what is happening, as you're describing, in you know the Celtic kind of yeah, countries. Yeah. yeah, and I think there's a certain there's a, there's a <clears throat> complacency in England as well as being sort of the the dominant. And I use dominant in inverted commas sort of nation within the union. There's a complacency when it comes to I think things like heritage. That well, of, of course, we have all these great buildings and, and traditions. You know, there's a, we don't need to shout about it. Whereas yeah. I think with the Welsh and the Scots and the Northern Irish, there's a there's that sort of intrinsic um, sort of feeling that it's part of their identity, and and they want to sort of show that as being apart from England. And the the, the, dif- the difference is important. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, like Canada as well, the the UK has not ratified the 2003 UNESCO Convention on Intangible Cultural Heritage. And what has that meant in Scotland, for for example? Well, in Scotland. Um, well, as um, some people may be aware, there was a referendum uh, in 2014 um, to see if Scotland should um, remain part of the United Kingdom or not. And the vote decide- was decided, it was, it was quite close, that uh, that they would remain part of the United Kingdom, part of the country. Um, it was decided by the Scottish government beforehand that if they had become an independent nation that they would sign the, Un- the UNESCO Convention for Intangible Cultural Heritage. Um, and that's, as far as I'm aware, still the still the case now. Um, I know Fiona Hislop, the uh, MSP in Scotland, has recently mentioned that along those lines, and is, is I think tries where she can to push that to the national to the UK government. Whereas the UK government has stated has quite stated clearly. categorically on, on several occasions through different administrative different um, governments that, uh, that there's no there's no. Um, there's not, not they have no inclination of uh, of signing the convention. Yeah. So what is Scotland doing um, at a policy level or at an institutional level around intangible cultural heritage? Um, one of the main things they're doing um, is uh, they've they've done an inventory of all the different types of um, ICH that exist in Scotland, which then became part of a, a wiki. So it's like a website whereby um, Ordinary people can um, add their own um, their, their own stuff to it, so they can go in and 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 be part of it, rather than it simply being written by um, people from above. That's the idea of a, of a wiki. Um, that's now been um, handed over to Museums Gallery Scotland, which are heavily involved in lots of different policy areas in intangible heritage, 
um, and Joanne Orr, who works there, um, is now being sort of uh, is pushing the website forward um, and getting communities involved in, in adding their own elements to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've also hosted uh, several conferences. They have, they? yes. They did. Um, there was a symposium. The most recent one was in November, which was an interna- international symposium in Summerhall in Edinburgh, and that was um, that was I think. I was there. It seemed to be a successful meeting. They had um, Janet Blake there, who was um, uh, instrumental in, in writing up the 2003 convention. Um, uh, Joanna Orr was, was speaking there, um, and Harriet Deacon, again, who uh, was involved with the convention, um, uh, and representatives from UNESCO from Paris as well. So, mm-hmm. And there were lots of people uh, in the audience from uh, sort of academics, from universities, uh, and from sort of heritage practices and organizations um so it was that was very successful and i know that it's the sort of thing that they're looking to do more of in the future and be involved at an international level yeah one of the things that i was aware of very very early on when scotland was doing its work and which you you referenced today was this idea that uh they've been very clear that what they're interested in is ich in scotland not necessarily Scottish intangible cultural yes now I think we we talked about how you know these these Celtic uh, uh, areas kind of have a intrinsic understanding of the importance of heritage and culture but but they've been very careful to say it's not just yeah the Gael talk it's it's yeah it's, I think it's a very mature approach I yeah. think it's the right approach to have it because um, there are other communities in Scotland there are um, sort of immigrant communities um, maybe less so than there are in England but uh, there are so you do have things like the Mellor in Edinburgh which is very successful uh, they, they'll have smaller sort of carnivals and they have um, Sikh communities and sort of Caribbean communities so they're, what they're basically saying is that you know it's easy to I suppose to go down the, the and I joked about it earlier it's easy to go down the stereotype route and just throw talk about haggis and, and kilts and bagpipes and everything. but the reality is you know Scotland certainly the large cities in Scotland are multicultural and and forward-looking and, I, I remember looking at the the scottish uh ich inventory at one point and there was an entry on pakora making yeah <laughs> which i thought was yeah. fabulous you know because it's not something that we think of when we think of scotland necessarily we have we have those kind of stereotypical images of what scotland is or isn't yeah so it's good to see that there's kind of this recognition that ich is a living breathing ever-changing thing and that uh, new communities immigrant communities um come with their own intangible cultural heritage exactly Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is all kind of happening in in Scotland. Um, and what has the response been like in England in comparison? Well, yeah, <laughs> not quite the same. Not quite the same. No, no. I'd love to say that yes, you know, there's a there's a there's a, an inventory of a wiki in England. Um, it's different, I suppose. The, the heritage uh, protection safeguarding. It comes from a different direction in England. English heritage, um, their remit, as I said before, from the government is to look after the built environment, or as they call it, the historic environment, um, sort of a, as a looser term. Um, but um, though, there has been recently an opportunity where they could have looked at the terminology of heritage and what what their remit was, because they've uh, recently. Um, divided into two separate groups. You now have English Heritage that looks after all the um, monuments and, and buildings that, the, uh, that, the, that it looks after, uh, like Stonehenge and Hadrian's Wall. 
and then there's a new group now called Historic England, which looks after everything else. And um, they had consultations. They talked to you know lots of heritage bodies, academics, educational people, um, people working in the fields. Uh, I think they had about 600 people that they ended up talking to. And my view, not just my view, views of other groups, people like the Heritage Crafts Association and National Parks England, um, also made the point that it could have been a really good opportunity to redefine heritage, add intangible heritage in the mix, and then sort of move forward with historic England, um, utilising intangible heritage as part of their as part of their um, heritage program moving forward mm-hmm. that hasn't happened um they um they've pretty much kept the same definition and any sort of heritage thing moving forward seems to be still very much to do with buildings yeah this, this idea that heritage is somehow about buildings and sites is pretty entrenched in some yeah. communities yeah you had a great quote uh, someone saying that there there is no there is yeah <laughs> laura jane smith back in in emma waterton did a um did some research back in 2009 and they they did some interviews with some English heritage personnel and it was an anonymous quote so you can take it with a pinch of salt but yes someone had said that there was no intangible cultural heritage in the UK which seems a bizarre statement really um, because it's obviously completely fallacious it's not true at all there's there's, there's lots of intangible cultural heritage Um, it's you know we're it's, we're, we're an old country. We've we've got mm-hmm. lots of traditions and performing arts and cult, you know. And I, and I think though that sometimes people think of heritage as being about these old things. That, that heritage is something that happened in the past. Yes, and it's not necessarily yes. something that's yes. happening. In the Which present. whereas the, yeah, the idea of intangible heritage is dynamic. It's it's something that's happening now. It's continuing. It's it's you you've. you've goes from generation to generation it's being passed down and changes it, it should be allowed to change as well that's the other thing that you can't preserve it in aspic it's it's something that um continually changes and and moves with the times whatever that might might may be yeah so unlike unlike scotland where there are organizations like museums gallery scotland which are kind of doing broad uh, kind of uh, countrywide um, approaches to safeguarding like like the inventory and other and holding conferences there's no one body in in england that is kind of doing similar things no yeah. no there's there's separate groups so you have things like uh, the heritage crafts association which obviously looks after so promotes heritage crafts in the country there's the um english folk dance and song society which um is a really good organization and, and does lots to archive um, sort of folk songs and folk dancers. Um, there's a society for storytelling, which has like a storytelling festival each year. And then you think groups like the Heritage Alliance, which is an umbrella organisation for many different heritage groups in the whole country, which on the whole looks towards buildings, but has accepted that intangible heritage is an, ele- is an element that they should possibly be looking at more in the future and and has at least admitted that they should attempt to bring in intangible groups into Mm. the fold. So you're looking at the the difference in how these two places have have dealt with intangible cultural heritage. So, Susie, why why are you here then? You're you're looking at at England and Scotland. What what brings you to Newfoundland? Well, I didn't want to end up with a PhD that simply said, this is what's happening in England. Um, We don't really do anything with intangible heritage 
full stop. There you go. That's 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 not really much of a conclusion. What I really wanted to do was say, well, if that's the case, are there examples from somewhere else where we can gain some knowledge, gain some um, insight, and then potentially maybe in the future use some of that knowledge, maybe at a local level? I'm I'm keeping an open mind whether we should sign the convention or not. So coming to Newfoundland where Canada obviously hasn't signed the convention, but in this province, obviously yourself, uh, ICH officer, you're looking after ICH on a daily basis. For me, it's interesting to see how um, how that works, what the process involves, how you get local communities involved. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to people in the local community and find out um, what they do and how you know how how safeguarding their traditions works, and if you know if if the office works if, if you actually kind <laughs> you of can let us know yeah. I'll let you know it makes a difference because then that's something that I can then take back to England and, sure. and, and put into a final chapter almost as a recommendations to say well if we do sign the convention uh, here's what other countries are doing they've had problems or they've found something particularly interesting or there's, there's a way that they've they've managed to, to do it or equally, if, if down the line we don't sign it, which seems likely in the near future, there's no reason why to suggest we are going to sign the convention. Let's look at other places. What are they doing? Mm-hmm. What do they do well? What can they do better? Or you know, what can we take that's similar that we could use, say, at a local level at lo- for local councils? Because although we have a much larger population in England, there's no reason why at a local, a local sort of county level we couldn't do something similar. Yeah. You know, and my, my suspicion is here, you know, whether or not we had an intangible cultural heritage office, people would be doing things. They, they, they live their lives and they, and they live their own heritage. You know, it is a living, breathing thing. I think the nice thing about having our office is that it, it sometimes helps us allow communities to kind of take another step and to document it, maybe to develop programs around it, to develop uh, training programs, to help teach traditional skills. We're, we're, I, I always say that my job isn't to be the expert. The expert's at the community level. My job is to kind of be the instigator and uh, to kind of keep keep that wheel of cheese rolling down yeah. the hill. You know, it's uh, it, that's my I, that's how I see my role. Anyway, so just kind of keep keep things moving, keep things rolling, and to and to help communities where communities identify a need. Yeah, you said something interesting when you were talking, and I don't know if it was something that um, you know you had come up with or if someone else had uh, kind of said, but this idea that. Heritage is what local people think heritage is. That local people should be the ones who determine yeah. what their heritage is, which I thought was a good. Yeah. Oh, I'd, I'd love. I'd love to be able to take that as my own um, idea. Now, the um, the Heritage Lottery Fund. Uh, that's what I was discussing there. Ah, okay. Uh, which is a national organisation. It's UK wide. Um, their definition of heritage is incredibly broad. I mean, it's 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 that they basically will. Um, the idea is with the Heritage Lottery Fund, uh, they give small grants to local communities for various things. So they're willing to be quite open about what these local communities would like to do. So the communities will come to the Heritage Lottery Fund and say, we'd like a small grant for, for instance, uh, lo- locally, uh, the, the Nottingham Carnival have been doing um, a small project, sort of archiving uh, what they've done for the last 30 years they've they've had the carnival in Nottingham for the 30 years but there's been no sort of historiography of it no one's talked talk, looked about what, what's actually happened for the last 30 years so uh, they've they've gone to the Heritage Lottery Fund and, and received some funding for that other things they may say oh that's a bit 
that's taking it a bit too far. I possibly can't fund that. Mm. Um, but they're, they're very good at just keeping it as, as really broad. It's, it's what the communities consider to be heritage. I think this might be, in some ways, at the heart of the problem, that divide between um, kind of the built heritage world and, and the intangible cultural heritage world sometimes, is that a lot of our systems for dealing with built heritage are based upon this notion that there is an expert who will determine whether or not your building has value. Whereas within intangible cultural heritage circles, we kind of say these things like, oh, yeah, you're the community. You decide what has value to you. Those are two very different ways of thinking about heritage that we somehow need to bring together somehow. Yeah, no, I agree. So we need people (laughs) writing PhD thesis on this uh, stuff to keep us on track. Um, So you're here. You're going to have a chat with some local craftspeople and have a chat with people who are engaged in, in heritage. Yes, that's the plan. And then you're going home and... Well, via, via the US. So what are you doing in the US? Uh, I'm off to Harvard first to visit one of my supervisors um, and then um, off to the Smithsonian to give a talk, similar talk to the one I've given today, to be honest. So um, at the um, Centre for Cultural Heritage and Folklife of Cultural Heritage. That sounds exciting. Well, thank yeah. you so much for coming and thank you for being on the programme. Thank you for having me. And uh, good luck with all your research. I look forward to reading, reading it all when it's done. <laughs> thank you. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or you can download us on iTunes. We would love to know what you think of the show. You can leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ich underscore nl. Thanks for listening. <laughs>